Father, we ask that you would truly give us ears to hear what you would speak this morning. Lord, and that in our hearing, we would understand and receive your truth. Lord, in our understanding, we would believe and obey your word. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon Pastor Terry as he brings the word. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Holy Father, we are in awe of who you are. The words that we have sang this morning, Father, may it really be how we live our lives. Help us to be so focused on you. And let it be revealed how much we love your word and how much we truly love you, Father. We recognize and confess that we are people with unclean lips who often do the wrong things in so many ways. Oh, how we need your grace. Oh, how we talked about your, sang about your grace in so many different ways today. We thank you for that. It is a hopefully sweet music to your ears. Help our lives to be spilled over with grace in them. We love and praise you, and it's through Christ's name. Amen. I want to start out today by asking what you might think is an obscure question. How sinful are you today? And I know that is a great uplifting way to start the message, but I really want to ask you, how sinful are you today? But I think, because I think, I'm not sure if we truly understand the reality of our sinfulness today. And the truth of the matter is, we will not treasure the grace of God if we don't recognize the depth of our sin. And you may be thinking, Terry, I already know I sin. As many say, I know I'm a sinner, or I know I'm not perfect, or oh, I know I'm not Jesus in the flesh. So then maybe a better question would be, do you know how sinful you really are? And could you tell me, please, how you are battling with those sins today? Because we can't know ourselves if we don't know our sin. And I say this because in our modern society, sin is not the problem anymore. We become, we become too sophisticated for sin. We now have chemical imbalances, disorders of many kinds, and genetic problems. But it seems that sin has left the building. It's left the building in our households. It's left the building in our marriages. And it's surely left the building in the church. But if we look below the surface, it is clear in our brokenness, in our struggles, and in our sin, we are sinners. And it is alive and well today. It has affected us from head to toe. It has affected us to the deepest part of us, our hearts. It's changed the way we think and act. It is still our greatest problem. For example, let's look at how sin affects marriage. Now think about this. Marriage consists of two sinners becoming one. 
So think about it. Instead of one sinner dealing with their own issues, guess what? Now you have two sinners dealing with each other's issues. And not only that, but they have their own agendas. And when you take sin that has its own agenda and then you put them under the same roof, not only that, add little sinners to the mix as we have children. <laughs> right? Right? And we wonder why marriage counseling is the most popular type of counseling today. And I'm going to pick on myself here for a minute. As a husband, I am called to love my wife like Christ loved the church. This means that every moment I am supposed to love her perfectly like Christ. Am I doing a good job with that? Not really. But <laughs> when I'm not loving her perfectly, guess what I'm doing? Sinning. Plus, the love has nothing to do with how she behaves towards me. My love for God calls me to love her perfectly regardless of her actions. Not to mention, this love is sacrificial. It is a dying of self. It is hard. It is painful. It goes against my old sinful nature. Die for my wife, the scriptures say, and all the while, I have a hard enough time letting her choose what restaurant we go to on date night. But sin has so affected us. And yes, I am selfish at many times, if you aren't understanding that. And I like to confess my sin in front of everybody. Um, but sin has so affected us. And that's only in our marriage. Just think of all the other areas of our lives. Think about the other sins that we struggle with, including bad thoughts, lack of prayer, rage, anger, malice. I'm not going to go through every, one, every sin, but I'm going to go through a few of them. Malice, lying, gossip, trusting in self, foolish talk, pride, selfishness, fear, worry, arguing and fighting, elevating other things above God, which is called idolatry. We struggle with sin. I think you get my point. We sin because we are sinners. And I know I've talked a lot about sin, but I'm going to go a little bit more into it, and then we're going to get to the good part. But it gets worse. It gets worse because we find out in scriptures that our good works are like filthy rags. And you may say, why? Why are our good works like filthy rags? Well, because often when we're doing good things, we're doing them for wrong motives. For example, you may see me serving somebody in the church, and I may only be serving them not for God's glory, but for my own glory. That taints what God's trying to do. And our, our um, good works are like filthy rags. Like Paul, who called himself worst of sinners, this is me, I am worst of sinner. This is you, you are worst of sinners. And it is not just our sin in the present, because you can think about who you were before you followed Christ. Before the Holy Spirit lived inside of you, before grace started its glorious work in you. Turn with me to Romans verses 6 through 10. Romans 5, verses 6 through 10. And Paul, empowered by the Spirit, said this, You see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if... When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? These passages remind us that Christ died for for us when we were wicked, when we were running away from God, when we were enemies of God. And yet, Christ sacrificed and died for us anyway. Truth number one. Truth number one. We must understand the gravity of our sin to grasp the depth of God's grace. Let me say that again. Truth number one. We must, under, must understand the gravity of our sin to grasp the depth of God's grace. Many of us have a weak perspective of God's grace because we don't understand how sinful we are as humans. Think about a white dish towel that is plunged and submerged into a bucket of oil. When you take that dish towel out, it is now stained black from the inside out. The oil has stained that towel, and that oil represents sin that so distorts, so deforms, so changes our perspective on life. And often we are rebelling against God when we think We are loving him. That's what sin does to us. We are tainted from the inside out. But, but, there's a whole other wonderful side to this. Grace. But grace collides with that darkness, the evil that we call sin, that lives and dwells inside of us, and it points us back to God. God's love is revealed in the fact That his grace continues to overcome, conquer, and eradicate the sin that we still struggle with. That is the gospel, friends. That is the good news that God sent his son Christ to die for sinners like us, worst of sinners, by the way, and rose from the grave defeating sin and death. And now instead of receiving God's wrath, we receive his grace. We receive his grace. Paul Tripp says this. He says, your sin and weakness doesn't mock the message of the gospel. No, your sin and weakness confirms the necessity of the grace of the gospel. This mercy called grace is defined as unmerited favor from God. That means God gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is unnatural. It isn't fair. Grace is getting away with something. Grace is letting the guilty go unpunished. And guess who those guilty people are? Us. Grace is selfless, sacrificial. It is the epitome of God's love for his children. Grace is having God's favor without earning it or deserving it. Grace refreshes the soul. It plunges deep into our, the darkest parts of our hearts and changes it into the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
Grace is the mercy of God that brings us into right relationship with God. It is an act of God that leads to an unabandoned freedom. Are we in awe of God's grace today, church? Do we wake up in the morning and are we excited because we're now children of God? Are we excited about this grace or, or are we overcome by the stresses, anxieties, and burdens of this world? And we sort of just take grace for granted now. But I will say sin has affected every area of our life, including our speech and communication with others. Jesus said, what comes out of our mouths comes from the heart. Comes from the heart. And when we are in conflict with others, we often see what is truly in us and the other people. And sometimes, sometimes, the best way to glorify God in conflict is to overlook someone else's sin. Let me say that again. Sometimes the best way to glorify God in conflict is to overlook someone else's sin. And you may say, wait a minute. I thought the Bible says confront sin. And you are correct. It does say that. But it does not say to always confront sin. Sometimes it is wise to overlook and show grace to your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Turn with me to Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11 says this, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. This verse says to overlook, dispense grace to others, Because we sinners need mercy, not always law. Turn with me to Luke 6.36. That's Luke 6.36. And it's Jesus. And he says this. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Dave Harvey in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, says, I'm going to live leaning in your direction with a merciful posture that your sin and weakness cannot erase. As sinners, we need to hold the posture of grace towards others because God has been so gracious to us. Plus, plus we want that same posture of mercy given back to us. Amen? How would this change our marriages if we held a posture of mercy towards our spouse? Do we show our families the same grace that God has shown us? Truth number two. In conflict, grace overlooks an offense. In conflict, grace overlooks an offense. Now that's not always, but sometimes it does. Grace is a key component to any relationship. Grace gives us hope when we are hopeless. Grace is selfless mercy that acts with love. And yes, we're still in Philippians if you're wondering if we're ever going to get there. This is where we're at today in Philippians, by the way. Um, Paul 
is in, we're in Philippians, and two dearly loved sisters that have walked with Paul in ministry had preached the gospel by his side now are in conflict with one another at the church at Philippi. And Paul urges these dear sisters, reconcile, reconcile. And where we're at is Philippians 4.2, if you want to turn there. Philippians 4.2. We're going to get through two whole verses today. Two and three, Philippians 4.2 and 3. And it says this. I plead with Judea, and I plead with Sinchica to agree with each other in the Lord. I plead with Judea, and I plead with Sinchica to agree with each other in the Lord. So these two women who were members of the church at Philippi were quarreling with one another, and it had gotten so bad that the word spread to Paul. Now, do we remember where Paul is at in this letter to the Philippians? Prison, right? He's in under house arrest in Rome, right? We discussed that a long time ago, but he's still under house arrest. And he sends this letter to the church at Philippi, and one of the things he says is for these dear sisters to get along. Paul urges the two women to agree in the Lord. Paul is saying, because of your faith in Christ, come to an agreement, ladies. Because of Christ being uni be unified. Because of Christ, your faith, be of the same mind. Because of your faith, put the other person above yourself. Have a posture of mercy towards your fellow sister in Christ. Because of Christ being the center, the focus, your all in all, work out your differences, sisters. And today, it may not just be sisters. It may be men too, brothers. Truth number three. Truth number three. In conflict, grace pleases God. In conflict, grace pleases God. And let's go back to verse. We're going to be at verse three now in Philippians 4. And Paul says this, Yes, and I ask you, loyal friend, help these women who contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers who name are in the book of life. Paul asks his friend to help. Not because it will benefit his friend, but help because these women need to be pointed back to God. Grace asks the question, How can I please God in this conflict? while self reacts to protect and fight for their own way. Grace asks the question, what does God's word say about this? And by the way, if we're preaching up here, if it's my opinion, discard it. But if it's from the word of God, follow it and obey it. Grace asks the question, what does God's word say? While self says, I want it my way and I'm going to have it my way. Grace looks upward in conflict while self looks inward at co in conflict. These sisters in the faith at Philippi needed help. They had lost their focus on Christ. They had lost their way. These women were so focused on the horizontal problem that they forgot about the vertical solution. Do you look at conflict as an opportunity to please God or please self? What are ways that you are pleasing God in the conflict you are in right now? Is the word of God your guide in conflict or is it something else? 
Truth number four. Truth number four. Grace examines while sin deceives. Let me say that again. Grace examines while sin deceives. And turn with me to Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Jesus said, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is saying that we naturally see the issues in other people much clearer than we see the issues in ourselves. For example, I know I keep picking on marriage, and marriage is a great thing, so I'm not trying to destroy marriage. But you can see this in marriage so often. Often I'm sitting in a counseling session with a marital couple, and one of the spouses gets the magnifying glass out and gets the tweezers and says, Honey, let me get that little speck out of your eye because it's really causing problems in our marriage. We've got to deal with that little speck. We've got to get that little sliver out when all the while there's a beam protruding out of the person with the magnifying glass beating us all over the head because they're not looking and seeing their own sin in the marriage. Why are we so blinded to ourselves and such experts with others? Especially in arguments I mean, I'm really guilty of this. I am always right, and the person I'm arguing with is always wrong. Or that's what I think. I try to tell my wife this. Hun, in arguments, I'm always right and you're always wrong. If you would get this, our marriage would be so much better. So turn with me to Proverbs 12, 15. Because I'm setting myself up here with that comment. Proverbs 12, 15. By the way, we don't want to use the Bible as ammunition towards others either, but I, you can give it, use it for yourself, on yourself. Remember, I think my way is always right. I'm always right in conflict. And then it says in Proverbs 12, 15, Fools think their way is right, but the wise listen to others. Fools think their way is always right, but the wise listen to others. Or turn with me to Proverbs 21, 2. 21, 2. All a man's ways seem right to him, but it is the Lord who weighs the heart. All a man's ways seem right to him. Or let's go to Proverbs 16.2. Proverbs 16.2, a few pages back. All a man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. These passages tell me that when I argue with others, I am often controlled by my sinful nature. And guess who my sin deceives first in an argument? Me. I'm the one that's deceived when I'm arguing, saying it's this way, it's this way, as I'm rebelling against God and arguing for my way. And I want us to clearly see how sin affects us very early on. I want to uh, tell a quick story. I came home from work, and my wife told me that Lukey, our three-year-old, 
had been very disobedient that day. And she was telling me, she didn't tell me exactly what was going on, but I could assume that Lukey probably was told probably four times to pick up his toys. At quiet time, he probably wasn't sitting and reading and just looking at a few toys. He probably was making noise and acting very rambunctious. So I decided to go to Lukey, and I asked Lukey, remember three years old, how his day was. How was your day, Lukey? And I didn't say anything about the problems, the discipline. And the first thing he told me was that mommy had been silly today with spankings. <laughs> first thing he said to me, as if to say mommy was overreactive today. Mommy was a little, you know, not herself. Lukey at three is already making excuses for his bad behavior. He already thought his way was right. He already thought that he knew better than mommy at three years old. It probably gets easier when they become teenagers, right? Is that... <laughs> Lukey's heart is being revealed. He is human. He is sinful like the rest of us. Join us, Lukey. And I was going to say that... Um, I thought he was an angel until that point, but honestly, when he cried all night, when he, first, when he first came home from the hospital, we already knew he wasn't an angel. So um, he was giving himself the benefit of the doubt. Again, at three, he believed his way was innocent and right, and my wife was just having a rough day. She was just not, you know, overreactive. She was just a little sensitive on that day. Man, we have to work hard to get the log out of our own eye in conflict because we struggle to see ourselves clearly. This is the effects of sin. That's why we have to understand our sin. We often are so blinded with sins like pride, fear, arrogance, self-love, worry, self-confidence, and unforgiveness. And at this point, you may be sitting there contesting and saying, you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me, Terry. And I would say, you're right, I don't know everybody, but I know God's word knows you. And it has each one of us pegged as sinners. And that's what it says. So this is not my opinion. This is clearly the word of God. Are you taking the log out of your own eye before you confront others today? What about in your marriage? Do you recognize your own sin before you get upset with your spouse's sin? Parents, do you confess your sin to your children and ask forgiveness when you are wrong? Or does pride cause you to never admit that you have a log in your eye? Who we are at home is who we truly are. Who we are at home is who we truly are. Teenagers, are you putting others before yourself, including your parents? Are you examining yourself when you're in a conflict with your parents, knowing that you're called to obey them? What about at your workplace? Are you pointing others to Christ in conflict? What about conflict in the church? Are you letting Scripture guide your direction, or are you fixated with tradition? Are you dealing with the log in your own eye today? Do you gossip with others and cause divisions in the church? Or are you talking it through with the people that you're having issues with? This is what we're called to, church. If we're ever going to be healthy, we better start there. So, so far we've learned 
that we're sinners and that we're really bad sinners. We also have learned that God's grace overcomes all the sin in our life, but we do realize that sin has so affected us that it has caused us to be blinded often to ourselves in conflict. And we often have to be pulling the log out of our own eye and making sure we are here to glorify God even in the midst of conflict. But truth number five, in conflict, grace confronts in love. In conflict, grace confronts in love. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 9. Matthew 5, 9. It says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Or happy are the peacemakers. These are the people who have a right view of God and a right view of themselves. They realize they are called to glorify God in all situations, including conflict. And this is done by first looking at yourself and pulling out the sin in your own life or the log in your own eye. This means, this means... They are, not confront, ugh, they are not confronting because of hurt they have felt or because of the fact they themselves are just angry. No, they confront because they are worried about the spiritual well-being of their brother or sister in Christ. Grace-based confrontation is always selfless. It's an opportunity to help point your brother or sister back to Christ. This is how a peacemaker deals with sin. They love God and that person so much that they are willing to be rejected and attacked because they see that their brother or sister is in trouble. They see their brother and sisters going off the cliff and they're going to grab onto them before they go over. Selfish confrontation, on the other hand, says, I was offended by you and now you must pay. Or, I was so hurt that I decided I need to come and confront you. Or, I can't get over what you said to me, so now I'm coming to you because I'm angry. Who is that about? Is that about God or about the person who's angry? Self. Self Self-centered confrontation. Self-glorifying confrontation is always focused on self instead of God. Grace shows another his or her fault because They are focused on the other person's spiritual condition. This is generated by a desire to love God and love the person they see who's struggling with sin. Are you a peacemaker today? Do you confront someone because you're hurt? Or do you see a brother and sister caught in sin and you're doing it because of love for them? In conclusion... In conclusion, God reigns even in our conflict. God reigns even in our conflict. He is sovereign over even our conflict. And we can glorify God in our conflict. God is changing our sinfulness through his grace. He is transforming us into his son, Jesus Christ. And he uses conflict to often do that. Do we look at conflict as an opportunity To glorify God today. Are we examining ourselves in conflict first? Do we confront someone because of our love for them? 
God calls us to put him first even in conflict. May we at the family church places God's glory above our own. God has been so gracious to us as he has saved us while we are still sinners. Do you know Christ today? Do you know him today? If you don't, and God is drawing you to himself, please come and talk to me after service. I will be up front. I would love to share the gospel with you. I would love to do that. And if it doesn't work today, well, I'm here every day of the week. We even have a sign-up sheet for Mondays afternoons where anybody can come and talk to us. Casey or myself, we would love to share the gospel with you. So as we end the message I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have a short time of reflection where we can spend some time thinking through on the message what we just heard. How can we glorify God in conflict? And then after that, Luke will dismiss us. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Oh God, how we need your grace. How we are desperate people for your grace. We are so thankful that you've saved sinners like us. We are such messes at times. We try to hide it and act like we're so much better. But Father, we recognize you see everything that goes on in our lives. And often in conflict, you see the most uh, most ugliest things come out of our hearts. May we use conflict as an opportunity to glorify you today. I ask, Father, you help us to be a church who is focused on following your word above all else because we are so consumed with your glory. Let us be a church that way. Help us to love one another like our own families. Father, we ask that you do a mighty work in our church. We love and praise you, and it's through Christ's name. Amen. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You guys are dismissed.